Welcome in to another new podcast from Codings Pro Magazine. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, news editor with Ant Publications. Today, we're going to be talking about the roof coatings market and some of the factors that contractors consider. And to do that, I am joined by Nick Bennett, owner of Advanced Consulting based in Denver, Colorado. Nick, good morning. How are you? Doing great, Ben. How are you? Can't complain. Thank you for taking the time to do this. We're also going to be putting some of the highlights from this interview in our November issue of Codings Pro. So stay tuned for that. Codings Pro, a bi-monthly publication that features industrial and commercial jobs across roof, concrete, and steel substrates. As we said off the top, we'll be talking about some of the roofing considerations today. And Nick, I think a good place to start, if you could just introduce yourself to our audience. For anyone that doesn't know you or your company, just tell us a little bit about your career in the industry and your current position. Just a general biography on yourself, if you could. Sure. Yeah. My name is uh, Nick Bennett. I'm the owner of Advanced Consulting um, in Denver, Colorado. We started out as um, kind of a support um, team for a lot of the majors in Denver. So we were here to help with things like supplementing diff difficult claims or um, providing, um, you know, kind of build design um, uh, direction when it came to maybe difficult or unique uh, projects for commercial. Um, and then over time, we just naturally migrated towards uh, completing those projects entirely ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. And we've been doing that since 2020. So now that you're an owner, what are some of the things that you've incorporated from your earlier stops? You mentioned sort of the migration, and I know you've been in the industry for about a decade now. So what are some of the things, good and bad, that you factor in from your earlier experiences now that you're looking into more bigger picture strategies as an owner? Yeah, I think for us, um, being a player at uh, some of the major companies, we saw kind of the sort of more toxic work culture that can exist when, you know, a major city experiences a, a gigantic catastrophe like the hailstorms we get in Denver, Colorado, um, mm -hmm. and just kind of what happens to team dynamics when anyone is allowed to come be a team player after maybe a company has spent several years developing and building kind of a work culture where a lot of people feel like there's a sort of familial um, sort of interaction going on, but then, you know, you get these major storms and then basically that that goes out the window and it's, you know, who can produce and who can, you know, bring the most to the table for that owner and how quickly. Um, for us, you know, being a part and being an owner in Denver, Colorado, we wanted to be part of the local community. I wanted to be part of, you know, the folks that are in real estate or the folks that are doing property management. You know, we wanted to be the face and be representative of uh, you know a roofing company in Denver so we wanted to be there for things like uh, small repairs or full replacements or you know if it is an insurance job helping them navigate that process but you know we wanted to show up for the the full process as far as top to bottom owning a roofing company I didn't want to be a stormer and we didn't want to be a fly-by-night company for our customers we wanted to be there to support them you know during a roof replacement and two or three years down the road should they have any issues or additions and things like that you mentioned the work culture, and that's interesting to me because clearly workforce development is a broader issue for really the entire coatings and corrosion industry that everyone is dealing with. And certainly when we talk about workforce development, there's things that as an industry that you can do better, such as training, getting people to see these trades as more of an option at younger ages in their life. and those things can potentially help over the years ahead. 
but I consider those sort of the macro things. There's also a micro when it comes to day-to-day -day operations at your company, and you mentioned the work culture in your previous answer. So in that context, looking at it from the micro, because I think everyone sort of understands the, mic uh, the macro of it, what are some things that you all do to attract and then try to keep your crew talent when it comes to actually going out and completing some of these jobs, like say, repairing damage from a hailstorm in Denver, Colorado? Yeah, so one thing that we noticed um, with some of the larger companies is that, you know, volume increases and then quality decreases. So mm -hmm. for, for us, we wanted to make sure that we maintained a pace where we could control quality and to keep talented individuals around. You know, one thing that we found out is a lot of these guys aren't necessarily respected while they're doing what it is that they were hired to do, meaning um, they're just not respectful of their time in a way that um, is shown. So say there's you know material shortage or there's something in a work order that's incorrect or um, a difficult homeowner has some very serious concerns during the install. When we were with some of these previous companies, there wasn't a face to represent those issues on site um, half the day, part of the day, um, even just checking in. And for us, that that was the first step where, you know, I want one of my guys on site all day long. I want somebody there to uh, hold the customer's hands through, you know, what is a pretty intrusive and loud um, and very fast process. So mm -hmm. for us, quality control and having somebody there to um, keep the problems that should be within house um, away from our crews and kind of respect their time, given that, you know, it's hot, it's uncomfortable, it's dangerous. Uh, there's no reason that they should be needing to, you know, maybe address a homeowner who has concerns about um, something that's going on in the front yard with plants or landscaping and those things. So um, I always want to make sure that we respect their time and that we've got somebody there that's going to make sure that any fires or any issues that need to be put out aren't um, something that becomes a secondary job for them that day. Mm -hmm. So I think just a, a lot of respect for the crews and making sure that we've done our part to build a work order to um, address any sort of highlights or something that maybe the homeowner brought up to us and making sure that um, there's not, uh, you know, maybe a second pass that needs to be taken on that, um, that we've addressed all those things with our crews up front. We've given them the tools and the uh, the information to get the job done correctly and, uh, and timely. So I think that's really um, one of the biggest things it feels like with a lot of the crews is, you know, just giving them really proper direction and being there to support them through that project. And I just don't think a lot of the majors have time to do that when they get to that level. We looked at this from an owner's perspective, but I think another way to look at this is from the worker side of things. And when you as an owner are looking at some of these crew members or other employees in your company that are fairly new, what are some things that can stand out to you as an owner that makes a person within your company look like hey, this is someone that can potentially advance into a more prominent role or position as the months and years progress. Looking at it from the worker perspective, what are some of the things that they can do to potentially stand out to an executive like yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of our um, mottos and something that's part of our clarity statement is just to do the right thing. I think that you know, there's so many ways that people try to reinvent the wheel in roofing where at the end of the day, all we need to do is show up and do the right thing. 
So for us, you know, when we've got crews on site and we're working with materials and the coatings um, solutions uh, environment, you know, there's a lot of factors there. You know, are these products being mixed properly? Are these products, you know, is it still a good viable product? You know, oftentimes we can open some of these things and find a product that, you know, has um, maybe a manufacturing defect or was maybe stored improperly. And, you know, if I've got a technician on site and we're not keeping an eye on him, you know, I need to know that he's confident enough to come to me and say, hey, there's five or six buckets here that appear like they are, you know, not going to cure properly or they're not going to applicate properly. We maybe, you know, have to think about an extra day of work here because somebody's got to go pick up that material. Um, and, you know, the other issues with, you know, just the details, um, doing the right thing where I want to make sure that if I've got a, a technician on site and we give him, a, give him an assignment to go out and uh, coat the details first and maybe three course any areas that um, seem problematic or they could be an issue in the future. You know, a lot of those things can be buried once we put a top coat on there. So I want to know that uh, if I go back and check that work or if I request some photos, seeing those things or to see those things that, you know, my technician or whoever's on site doing that work takes enough pride in their work to take those photos, to take that extra step to document it so they can share that with us, um, you know, because it covers us for a manufacturer warranty and it covers us for, you know, future issues on that project. Mm -hmm. Speaking of your projects, we featured the Barclay Tower in our September issue, and this podcast is going to be coming out in September. So for any of our regular Codings Pro readers slash listeners that get the issue, you can turn to it pretty easily in September. And even if you don't subscribe to the print magazine, you can find it online very easily. Just search Codings Pro Magazine September 2022, and you can see it in digital form. But I want to talk with you Nick since we've got you on the podcast we might as well talk about the project that we're featuring this same month in Codings Pro so when we talk about the Barclay Tower what was special about that job and what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome in order to make that a memorable project yeah you know the Barclay is on 16th in Larimer in Denver Colorado downtown so um, anyone familiar with Denver, it's uh, overlooking the 16th Street Mall. There's a lot of activity, and to be at the 33rd floor, you're really just right at that skyline. So um, just kind of a stunning project to be on top of to begin with and walking, um, let alone working on. So uh, the Barclay had some unique challenges. Um, just given the age of the building being um, early 80s, there was a lot of debris up there, old steel girders, things like that. So before we were even able to get this project in a place where we could code it, there was a lot of other things that needed to be addressed. Um, and we were willing to help that HOA community out and do what we could um, to get them in a place to do that. But, um, you know, everything from uh, the system itself not being fully adhered and being on a 33rd floor, Colorado was experiencing a lot of high winds during that time. And, mm -hmm. you know, very quickly too, we might be, you know, in the middle of a very normal morning um, cleaning a membrane and uh, getting towards um, a place where we can applicate and then out of left field you know we're getting 50 and 60 mile an hour gusts and we need to be able to get that site secured in a way that's safe and isn't going to cause any issues and then also get ourselves in a position and the rest of the team in a place where we're a little bit safer because several times that membrane was lifting up when we did have areas cleaned off large enough to coat so it was quite the experience moving around that entire uh, surface area. When we talk about the membrane, um, what material specifically did you use on this and 
what ways were they applied? Just speaking generally, give us a little bit of the technical specifics as far as the materials, the application, the thickness, those types of factors. Yeah, so on this one, uh, the Barclay Towers has a concrete deck and this system had um, an insulation and an EPDM membrane over the top of it with uh, a kind of uh, potato-sized ballast. Okay. So there kind of were unique challenges there where if we were to replace this roof, we would have needed to remove all of that gravel ballast and there really wasn't a solution in place. The service elevator was going through some issues in that building at the time. So um, there wasn't a good solution to get that rock off. And with that membrane not being fully adhered, we had to look for some unique solutions. Uh, we turned to silicone for a few options, but there wasn't really a spec that we could use um, with that gravel ballast that we felt comfortable would last uh, with the amount of foot traffic that they see on the roof. So we did turn to Castagra Ecador, and that is a product that we've used before in the past. Um, it cures up incredibly quickly, and it's a very strong coating, um, something that we felt confident that um, would withstand foot traffic, especially with that gravel ballast in place. So for this one, what we did was remove the gravel ballast um, from sections um, usually around six to seven, sometimes as high as eight squares, and we would pull that back bring in the power brooms and you know clean pressure wash any areas that were extremely you know full of debris or heavily soiled clean those areas heavily and then we would bring that Castagra Ecuador in apply it to roughly 40 to 45 mils um, there's not a lot of shrinkage with, with this product so as soon as it goes down that's typically the millage that we see even in post so once that product's down we have about 12 hours to maximum before we can walk on it, but it does cure within 30 to 45 minutes after mixing a bucket. So it's an application that, you know, you need to be very quick while applying, um, but once it's cured, it is self-leveling. It looks great when it goes down. And then from there, what we did was just put um, an underlayment in place just to give us some sort of barrier in between the coating and that gravel ballast. And then we would move that gravel ballast back in place and then move on to the next section. And I'm assuming the client was pretty pleased with the finished product here, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this was in the kind of the middle of a lot of the early stages of COVID. In this building being downtown, a lot of the folks that lived there were a little bit older. So they were very pleased with the fact that we were very respectful entering and exiting the building and trying to keep our presence as low as possible. And I think, you know, this being a rehabilitation rather than a replacement, um, really did a lot to comfort the HOA board, knowing that it wasn't going to be a major undertaking that was going to, you know, cause some sort of disturbance for the homeowners every day. Um, it was something that was very minimally impacted. I think we had one day of loading material, um, and then outside of that, just entering and exiting, exiting the building during the day. So, mm -hmm. um, a lot of comfort was uh, and care was given, just trying to protect those residents as well. Looking at sort of the bigger picture, we talked about materials with the Barclay Tower. You've been in the business about a decade now, right? Yes. Okay, that's what I was thinking looking at your LinkedIn. What are some of the ways that for roofers that materials and or equipment have changed over your time in the business? What's something that you're doing now in 2022 that you probably couldn't do in 2012 from a technology perspective. Basically, just talk about any trends you're seeing in terms of uh, proper application techniques, or it can also be, I suppose, demands from clients 
and that can be due to environmental trends or any number of factors. But just in terms of equipment, materials, and the technology involved, what's different in the 2020s from the early 2010s? What's the evolution of the business been like for you on the technology side? Yeah, for technology, I think, you know, from lead generation to just daily processes within our CRM, you know, coming from the last 10 years, a lot of things have just been automated. Um, given, you know, our quoting and bidding process to our measurements, um, to creating material of orders. A lot of that is something that, you know, can be done within 15 to 20 minutes where maybe previously a lot of time was spent um, working with suppliers and building those material orders out, you know, working with our manufacturers and our suppliers, we're able to get that information a lot quicker than we would have previously, um, which has been, you know, great and as far as increasing volume. Um, I think another thing would probably be just um, a lot of clients acceptability to looking towards rehabilitations rather than replacements. Um, okay. I think that products have improved vastly when we when we talk about some of these coatings and the NDL warranties that a lot of these uh, manufacturers are willing to offer um, are appealing to, to clients. And I think that um, it's a great option given that I think a lot of our owners are a little bit more mindful now that um, be it a code issue, um, be it a cost issue, um, that maybe they shouldn't immediately look towards replacement when they have a roofing issue. You know, say there's a roof that's, you know, functioning at uh, 75%, there's some critical leaks, but there's really only a small area that needs addressed. You know, that's where we can come in with these coding solutions and these NDL warranties and, you know, rehabilitate a roof rather than replace it. And it gives everybody great peace of mind knowing there's an energy savings effect in there, especially if it's a silicone. And then on top of that, we didn't create all of that waste, um, which we would have had we gone for replacement, as well as using all that new material. So I think for us, if we're looking towards maybe some greener solutions, that's really the, the place that we want to be. And those are the clients that we want to work with, because oftentimes, in, and I, I think we've all seen it, where a roof is getting replaced, where now those, those of us with this rehabilitation knowledge and this coatings knowledge, easily could come in and offer a solution that would prevent that roof from needing to be replaced and all the disturbances that are involved when that happens. So I think um, within the last 10 years, it seems like that's changed pretty rapidly. And uh, given you know the inflation and the crunches with uh, material and supply issues, um, I think a lot of people are looking towards that. And I just don't think that that was as prevalent 10 years ago. Yeah, I absolutely think that's a good observation. I was talking to someone for our roof coating supplement, which comes out in October, and we've got a roundup article just talking about the state of the business, sort of a 30,000 foot view. And I, I forget who it was, but someone from the field was making that exact point that because of the supply chain and materials issues and some of the pricing dynamics, that roof coatings are becoming a lot more attractive because if you can put off that restoration by a few years, that's a really big deal in the current environment, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think for the Barclay and for some of our other clients that we've worked with, you know, that's kind of why they came to us is they knew as an HOA board and as a community that they were not prepared to take on those costs. But, mm -hmm. you know, being, you know, what's happened with condos and some of the things in Florida that they saw, they wanted to be in, ahead of these things and do what they could. And when we came to the table with some of these solutions, they're very cost effective. I mean, we were probably one third or a quarter of the price of what they were getting quoted for full replacement. And we were able to do it in probably half the time that was being projected. 
We're finishing up now with Nick Bennett, owner of Advanced Consulting in Denver, Colorado. Nick, before we sign off, uh, do you have any last words of advice for our audience? Just as an owner in the industry and looking at these challenges at a high level, what are some of the things to watch for over the coming months and I guess next couple of years? And uh, what are some things that companies should be looking to do to position themselves for success in the current market? Yeah, I think Denver is, you know, not necessarily unique, but a lot more dependent on these storms. And for us, what we wanted to do, I think, was refocus our energies back on the community and um, just be there as the um, support for a lot of our local businesses that do seek and look for roofers. So we want to build long-term relationships with affordable housing developers, low-income housing developers, real estate companies. Uh, we want to be, you know, part of Denver. Um, as far as um, I'm not looking to run from, you know, Denver to Wyoming to Nebraska to Kansas. I think that um, for us and watching if some of our competitors do that, you can see where um, there's just not a lot of longevity and there's a lot of boom bust. And we want to provide a stable place for our workers and for our clients to know that they can confidently come to for roofing solutions, be it residential or commercial, consistently and timely. They're going to get good answers and they're going to get a reasonable response from all of our team. Um, And that's really, I think, for most folks at this point that we know um, in this market, that's really where their focus is, knowing that, you know, Denver didn't see a lot of new hail again. So we need to focus back in the communities and doing the small things. For anyone who wants to learn more from you or advanced consulting, be it a potential customer in the Denver area or just someone uh, from the industry that's listening to this podcast that may have a follow-up question for you based on something you said, what's the best way that someone can get in touch with you or your company? Yeah, I would say uh, feel free to reach out out to us online. Uh, We're at getabetterroofer.com and you can certainly reach out to me by email. I'm uh, nick at getabetterroofer.com, N-I-C-K. Perfect. Nick, thank you so much for the time, and this is where we will break things for this episode of the Codings Pro interview series. For Nick Bennett, I'm Ben DuBose. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you want more resources from us, of course, you can go to codingspromag.com or amp.org, the websites for the magazine and the association, the Association for Materials Protection and Performance, that is, where we've got all sorts of news related to the protective coatings and corrosion control industries. Again, for Nick, I'm Ben. Thanks for listening, and please come back soon for another new episode from the Codings Pro interview series.